0: So I I know you guys know this because I've been talking about it incessantly, uh, but I love October. I love October because I love Halloween. I love uh, vampires and monsters and uh, witches and warlocks and werewolves and murder, all that stuff. I love it. I'm into October. I always have been. It's my favorite month of the year, and that's just all there is to it. But something's happening in 2020. And it's messing up my October experience. Here's what's going on. I live here in the San Francisco Bay Area. And every day in October, it's been 90 degrees. Not a cloud in the sky. Just hot all the time. No weather to speak of. Like nothing. Nothing happening. Just clear skies. Hot weather. I haven't worn pants since March I don't think. Now, for those of you who are shoveling snow, sitting in the cold, watching the rain fall, uh, (laughs) those of you who are cursing the cold weather and hearing me reporting that I'm living in some kind of Beach Boys song and uh, and I'm complaining about it, I I know I know how that sounds and I'm sorry, but the fact is I want some weather and I'm not getting it. The closest I've come is I thought I felt a slight breeze the other day, and I got really excited, uh, but it wasn't. It was the air conditioning from my car. The October experience is not what it should be right now, Um, and it's kind of messing me up because I love this month, and it doesn't really feel like October. It feels like July, and uh, it's a little bit of a bummer. You know, People are putting up their Halloween decorations, and they look great. But you know, a, a skeleton or a graveyard motif under the burning sun—not scary. Doesn't have doesn't have that chilling effect that uh, that it should. It's kind of like if you if you went to Peter Murphy's house because you know you probably have his address and he's maybe expecting you, and uh, and you think I wonder what Peter Murphy, lead singer of Bauhaus, is doing today, uh, Saturday at two o'clock. I'll pop by. And see what's going on. And you expect him to answer the door uh, having just, uh, you know, stepped out of his coffin. You expect him to be wearing black. You expect him to be a vampire. But instead, he answers the door wearing shorts and a Hawaiian shirt. And you look behind him uh, with hope. You're hoping to see a coffin. But, uh, But no, it's not there. All you hear is the sound of a blender. Because Peter Murphy... Is making a smoothie that's what this october is like peter murphy in a hawaiian shirt and i'm not enjoying it but i am going to enjoy giving you a copy of my book my brand new book it's a young adult novel it's called malrow and the midnight organ fight it's a perfect novel to read in october anywhere but california though it does take place in san francisco the book is about two teen detectives trying to solve a series of murders. There's thrash metal. There's Russians with cleavers. There's ninjas in Tom Ford suits. And of course, there's organ removal. It's, uh, it's a very October book. And I want to give a copy to you for free. Here's all you have to do. Email me, editor at com and tell me how you're going to spend your Halloween. The best answer wins a copy of the book. I'll sign it. I'll send it to you. What more could you ask for? Just tell me how you're spending your Halloween, and uh, I will read your answers with great pleasure. Because me, I'll be spending mine making smoothies with Peter Murphy. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out.
1: Do you want something from me? Do you want to? Can take it for free. Think you deserve it all so easily, as if you don't know what it's worth. Do you?
0: of my guest today on the program, Evangeline Gentle. Let me tell you a little bit about Evangeline Gentle. So when I listen to debut albums by Sarah McLachlan or Kate Bush or the Cocteau Twins, my first thought is, how did you get so good so young? I'm a writer and it took me a long, long time to feel good about my work. I mean, like, now that I think about it, I think I started to feel really confident about it Maybe yesterday. You might think, oh, that's not so bad. Well, yeah, but I'm 97 years old. Falling into the so good, so young category is Evangeline Gentle. The Scottish-born, Canadian-raised singer-songwriter is one of those artists who sounds like they arrived fully formed. The 23-year-old musician got their start at 11, and by their early teens were playing live in clubs. And of course, it didn't take long for people to notice the power and range of their work. And with an a cappella EP under their belt, a self-titled debut album out now, and awards like Emerging Artist at the Petersburg Folk Fest and Best Female Vocalist of the Year at the 2015 Wire Awards, the CV is getting packed, and rightfully so. The album I mentioned is a straight-up stunner. It's a song cycle that veers from rootsy ballads to stirring folk to sweeping atmospheric numbers that roll through the speakers with windswept finesse. This is an album with tremendous heart. It's as vulnerable as it is commanding, and it's a riveting, riveting listen. Evangeline and I, we had a great chat, and I'm excited to introduce them to you. So, have a listen to me and Evangeline Gentle breaking it all down right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast.
2: lots of touring plans and of course um touring is like probably like the biggest part of um the well not the biggest part but a huge part of the industry right and like to promote a record you really do need to tour um so when I found out that my tours were cancelled I definitely went through some type of grieving process over the ideas that I had had about what that was going to look like for me touring my first record um it would have been the most touring that I've done in my career so far um, and so yeah like trying to find other creative ways of promoting the record has been in some ways challenging um, but just trying to make the best of it We did, um, I don't know, so over the course of uh, our lockdown here in Ontario, I was doing live stream concerts and things like that, but it's very hard to reach beyond your current fan base um, with live stream concerts, right? Because how are you promoting those to new audiences? Um, Whereas when you're touring, you... You're in a new place. You're you're promoting to, to local newspapers or news stations or radio stations or whatever mm. to promote to to reach those new fans. But with live stream concerts, it's very difficult to do that. Um, however, I just did a live stream concert on the fifth of September. It was like an album release uh, celebration, and we did it in a music venue because now in Ontario we have allowed have been allowed to like expand our social bubbles a little bit and because my career is such a big part of my life right now i've prioritized um trying to expand my bubble to include my band Um, and so we ended up doing a a live stream concert at a music venue having proper sound techs Mm -hmm. having some camera crew there to film it and yeah it was with my full band which completely altered the experience. And I think made it more uh, desirable for people to tune in because it was like they were getting an actual show. But right. I guess that's, you know, just the way that I'm trying to like adjust and, um, I don't know, change with the current situation to make the best of things. but. It's definitely a scary time starting out in my career, like not knowing what the future holds at all for the industry. Um, it's a challenge, it for sure is. But yeah, like I said, just trying to make the best of it, find creative ways to move forward. I mean, is that the kind of answer you're getting from yeah. other musicians too? It is, and it, and
0: it's sort of like, I just interviewed um, Katie Malco, who is sort of like an indie rock um, you know uh, sort of guitar guitar indie stuff and she's marvelous and she was in the same position as you where it's like the first album's coming out and she wanted to sort of introduce herself to all these new people and it's mm-hmm. like now you'll do that from your house in, in, uh, in England and it's sort of like that wasn't really the plan so what we've seen is we've seen a lot of sort of um, pandemic pivoting I guess you yeah. might, <laughs> right? Um, which, which I like to think of myself as being a flexible person in that regard, but it can also suck the life out of you a little bit because, right, so how do you stave off the anxiety, that sort of it, the attendant anxiety that comes with all of this pivoting? Because surely there must be a little bit of, of um, tension around all this innovation.
2: Absolutely. Um, Well, I'm fortunate enough to have like a team of people that work with me. I have two managers um, and a record label, and those two companies are very much involved with each other. It's called Sonic Onion Records. Oh, yeah. Um, And I'm so fortunate to have a team of people working with me um, to sort of, like you said, pivot together. It's like it's a I think that if I was doing this completely by myself, I would um, be taking this a lot harder than I am, but because there's a team of people, it's like all, everybody's different creative ideas of how to make it work are coming together. Um, But yeah, it's a huge, it is a huge stress. Um, And yeah, I don't know, to manage it, I've just been talking to a lot of my a lot of the people in my life who are in the same position as me yeah, just trying to be there for each other, extend to each other compassion, also help each other out in the ways that we can by promoting each other's live streams and um, yeah, really trying to support each other.
0: Yeah. I spoke to Lou Cannon and she's, you know, a fellow Canadian uh, singer songwriter artist. She's fantastic and same position. I think it's like her third album that came out and you could tell that like all of the planning that was, you know, all the things that were going to happen are not going to happen now. And you can see on Instagram um, that there's there's an artistic frustration in the sense that you feel a kind of, not claustrophobia, but you feel kind of stifled creatively because you couldn't wait to get out there on the road or, or do whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel a sense of community with your fellow musicians where you really do um have conversations with them like you were saying um continuously about how's it going now just a little check in like do you just kind of check in and see like where are you how are you doing what are you up to
2: yeah for sure i mean like working in this industry you spend so much time with other musicians and and like for me personally most of the people in my life work in the industry um but i have three guys in my band one of them his name is Nick Ferrio he also has his own music project and he just finished recording a record he's like all set to put it out but he's decided to hold back on it and wait to see what happens because well here's the thing too is like I think it's a different experience for different people based on where they are in in their career so for him like he's been working in the industry for a long time he's put out lots of records he's established in a different way than i am so for him he feels like he wants to wait and and he can he can wait if that makes sense because he's been sense. doing it for a lot longer whereas for me when all of this stuff happened like i i basically you know got on the phone with my managers and we were just like trying to weigh up the pros and cons and i actually thought to myself okay well maybe um because lots of people will be holding back on releasing records, pushing back their release dates. Maybe there'll be like a little bit more room for for, um, somebody like me and other people like me who are just starting out to sort of have their music heard, like a little bit more room in the industry for that. And I honestly do think that that has happened for me. Um, with the market being less saturated with bigger acts coming out with records. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that that, that quieter, that less, the, the lessening of traffic, of release traffic actually opened up some space for me. Um, so there are benefits to that as well. Like I don't, like I, I'm trying just for my own, I think my own mental health really, um, trying to see the, the positives in, in there as well. But anyway, sorry, that's getting a little bit off track. But yeah, back to talking with other musicians. I mean, the conversation that I'm having with you is definitely a conversation that I've had with my friends who are artists mm-hmm. recently, for sure, just like checking in, making sure we're all good. But
0: You know, it's kind of occurred to me that there will be some attrition. There will be, you know, some artists who who will take stock and look around and go, Well, I better get my real estate license because I can't wait two years. Right. Um, So there and also venues and people who work in lighting and sound the the industry is really taking it pretty, it's a a sucker punch. And, you know, in addition to being a a scary time, you know, for everyone, the general population for an artist, um, it's very scary. And you, you seem to be so balanced about this. Have you, have you done a lot of sort of internal <laughs> conversations with yourself about like, okay, don't panic. And here's how you got to think about this. Have you had to sort of talk yourself down a couple of times?
2: So many times, I think for me, when I was in quarantine, that was the hardest of it. And I definitely was feeling super depressed. Um, probably. And I'd say like April Um, when everything was being canceled and stuff like that. I definitely just had, well, because I had so many hopes for what was going to happen, you know what I mean? And like how exciting it was all going to be and had wanted this for a very long time in my life since I was a child. Um, And so I I went through, uh, yeah, a low point and having exactly this kind of conversation that we're having with myself internally and just, I don't know, trying to stay grounded about it, but you're, you're so right about uh, the way that this touches all areas of the music industry. I think a lot of attention is being given to how this impacts artists and venues, but you are so right. There are people that are integral to, uh, to the touring industry that are out of work right now, just as much as everybody else, lighting, sound techs. You know, um, it's, it's hard. The, The industry is absolutely taken a huge hit from this. But like I said, for me, I just need to kind of remain optimistic. But I also, I know this from talking to other artists, there are some people in the industry who are musicians and do it because they love it. And it's, and it's something that's been working for them. And then there are some people who are artists who do it and that's, there's no way that they can't do it. It's just like, you just have to. And I'm one of those people where it's like, I know that no matter what I will find a way of doing it. And I have other musicians in my life who feel similarly. And so it's not really a matter of like, will I continue to make music? Will I continue to pursue a career in music? To me, it's like, how am I going to adapt to these changing situations so that I can continue to have a career in music but um, that's also speaking from a place of privilege because there are artists who don't have other um, ways of, of making income and they completely rely on their music and touring to generate their income. Whereas outside of music, I work as a barber as well. So I have that right now um, to sort of tide me through. And also we're really lucky. Sorry, I'll turn off these notifications. Um, We're really lucky in Canada to have lots of different granting systems Mm. That support musicians. I'm not sure if that's the same where you are. If there are grants for no. <laughs> records and stuff, so no. <laughs> I am very fortunate that I have access to some government support as far as making my music. Um, that's hugely beneficial, of course.
0: Is your family uh, also a support system for you as well? Do you have? And also, growing up, did you were you did you feel very supported artistically um, by your family?
2: Absolutely, uh, I come from a really musical family. My dad um, was a musician um, and my, I have four sisters and two of them are also singer-songwriters. Oh. And music was a huge part of my childhood. So I've always been encouraged um, in my career. My, my parents, my family support me 100%. So. I'm also very fortunate in that way. I know that there are lots of people who don't, lots of musicians who don't have that right now. And I, and I really feel for those people.
0: Like I was telling you I, that, I, that I teach at university, I have some students who will tell me, I want to be a baker. I want to be a painter. But my parents are making me major in business. <laughs> you know, I mean, sometimes you, yeah. you don't have parents who are supportive of your specific dream. I guess I'm, what I'm getting at is that you are so lucky to have a family that understands what it means to be an artist and how important and valuable that is just for the, for the soul, you know?
2: Absolutely. And um, when I was having that low period during um, the lockdown, I was actually living with my parents at the time. And so they were, of course, being amazing and supporting me um, keeping my spirits up, that kind of thing, and leaving lots of room for me to share with them how I was feeling. Um, and I'm so fortunate and grateful to have had that with them, for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. There is, it's really interesting, when when I interview artists, the the project that they've done is a new project to the public, but mm-hmm. to them, it's it's been under their belt for two years. And And part of what I think has made um, this show so interesting is I realized I started interviewing bands when I was 15, right? And now I'm 97. But (laughs) the thing is, is that I remembered that even early on, that bands were always so much more engaged in talking about the record that they hadn't made yet rather than the one that they've made because the one they've made is old to them right? Mm-hmm. And so they would rather sort of skip the talking points that they're doing and sort of talk about the new creative place that they're going. Um, for you obviously this record is, is new to everybody, but for you it's not. It's, it was cooking mm-hmm. for a while. So how are you doing in terms of new material and what do you find is happening to you creatively um, just from, from a pure artistic standpoint?
2: Yeah, actually that's a really good question. Um, I did not write much during the initial months of lockdown I was definitely not feeling very creative at that point um, I'd say that even getting the energy to do something like a live stream concert was hard yeah um, but then towards the end of lockdown I feel like I had processed a lot of those uh, feelings that I was having and sort of like okay well you know this is a really good time to start working on my next record and also i think being in lockdown really gave a lot of space for me to reflect on things that had happened in my life that i otherwise really hadn't had the time to reflect on because i was so busy trying to make this record and release this record and make plans for that and i was working a lot of the time i was working two jobs going to hair school and um, you know trying to put together a team to release my record outside of canada so there's a lot going on and a lot going on in my personal life. And I feel like I was basically forced to just slow down and reflect. Yeah. And the music that I've been writing for my next record, which I'm going to start recording at the beginning of next year, should all things go well. Um, <laughs> yeah. If I'm, you know, if we can do that, um, the music that I've been writing for that record uh, is very introspective in that way. And has been cathartic um but now i i just moved to hamilton ontario so i moved out from my parents house when the restrictions were lifted um and i'm living alone for the first time i've always had roommates and that has um, left a lot of room for me to spend time writing as well but because i'm because i've been um focused on you know, releasing the record and releasing the singles and been gaining some traction and talking to people. And that has definitely given me a little bit of a boost in creative energy. So I've been writing a lot, but yeah, like I said, very introspective.
1: Yeah. Stuff. And
2: it's
0: also nice to hear that this has not stifled the creative process. In, in other words, you just you you're like a, a steam train. You just keep going creative. Yeah. Um, and like you were saying earlier it's like there, there really isn't a choice like this is this is just who you are you create um, exactly. and it's also imposed a really interesting schedule on you because you probably wouldn't have gone with that plan of I'll record the new album at this particular point because you'd be touring you'd be doing right so the timeline has gotten kind of like elastic
2: yeah totally I mean yeah especially like the writing period because right now i would have been on tour right and i and i wonder how different my second record would have been had i have spent all this time touring i'm not really sure it would have i'm not really sure that it would have been as maybe introspective or as like i don't know what another word for it would be like or something I'm not sure yeah reflected if not for being forced to slow down you know who knows what it would have been but I definitely don't think it would have been what it will be
0: is that you have your entire life to make your first album and you have a year to make your second, right? Yeah.
2: I've, and, can I, I've never heard that before, but I've literally heard that now twice in about four days.
0: It's, <laughs> isn't that weird?
2: Yeah, I had never heard that before ever. And you know what's so funny? The first time I heard it, like four days ago, I started to panic. <laughs> I was like, holy crap. Is this real? I only have a year to do this. God.
0: I know well i think it's real only in the sort of metaphorical sense of you've you can cook this stuff for as long as you like when you're for your first effort but the second one is just the compression right everything is just compressed so it reflects the experience that you that you've most recently had in the last year or two um i don't think it's specifically a year but it it is it is much more hurried up process than it would have been for the first you know, part of your life where you're sort of walking around with these songs. There are some bands where, when they follow up the first with the second album, the second album is just ridiculously as strong as the first in the same spirit of it.
2: Mm-hmm. You also
0: realize they had all those songs. In other words, they didn't just have 12 songs, they had 24. Yeah. Um, you see that with the Violent Femmes or with R.E.M. Like in their early records um, or the early stuff, they, they had all of those songs. So there's there a songwriting tear where they wrote like 25, 30 songs. Um, mm-hmm. So I I do think the second album is reflective of, of the experience of the previous year, year and a half. So you're right, like who knows what you're, if you've been touring and getting out there and feeling this sort of like worldly exuberance, it might not have been an introspective angle,
2: mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, and I think that's so true about the, you know, having less time to write your second, but especially if you're, you know trying to get yourself on that, like, two-year rotation of putting something out, which is kind of what you have to do now, um, and that's fine, like, but it is a a whole different process. Like, I spent three years working on my first record, which is very different than the year that I will have spent working on this one.
0: Right, right, right. It's totally, just artistically, it's totally it kind of reminds me of like painters who get commissioned work where it's sort of like okay we want you to paint this for us by this date that's the only thing i can think of that's comparable to that yeah you know we're
2: totally.
0: in, in position of time or um well i'm I'm also wondering for you you're, you're such a nice person you seem very very chill but when <laughs> you would you like when you hear other artists is there a part of you that is ever competitive, or a part of you that goes, "Oh, that's that's next level. I need to really up my game." Or do you, or do you confine that just to yourself? You're competitive with yourself.
2: Um, I would say that I'm competitive with myself, definitely. I have very high standards for myself, and I struggle when I don't meet them or don't feel like I've met them. I wouldn't say that I'm competitive with other musicians, but I definitely always want to be getting better with myself, if that makes sense. You know, like it does. competing to get better with myself or with my last record even. I'm like, okay, well, how do I make a record that's better than that last record? And I almost feel when I'm writing like a sense of competition with my last record which is kind of weird, and I haven't actually thought about that before until now, but it's true. But I think that most musicians probably feel like that because you always want your next work to be as good, if not better. At least I mean, that's how my brain works.
0: Mine too, and I, and I find, cause I'm a writer, and I find that sometimes I will go back to the same, like in other words, I, I know the things I can do well, and sometimes I'll do them be, because I feel like, it's almost like a reflex. But then I go, well, that's just basically you're writing the same thing. You gotta, you mm-hmm. gotta do better than that.
2: Yeah, exactly. Right? Um, yeah.
0: Do you find yourself in your work? Do you find yourself, maybe not thematically, but maybe sort of in terms of images? Do you find that a lot of the same images keep popping up?
2: Yeah, I think so. I think what comes up for me consistently is like what I want to achieve with the music that I make. And so then thematically, It all sort of ties in like I have this last record that I made my first record is definitely about like wanting to connect people with the sense of sameness, trying to um, Break the dividing boundaries of of identity Mm -hmm. and sort of get back to that that fundamental idea that we are all the same basically or we share the same visceral experiences of life um despite our differences and identities and all of that stuff and um so I think that to me that's the the image I guess or the the thing that I want to achieve for my listeners to feel connected and that definitely comes up in what I write for sure that thing that keeps coming back but I wouldn't say that it's something that I feel like I do well and that's why I keep coming back to it I think I just have this consistent idea of what i want to achieve
0: i turned 50 in june and i feel for the first time in my life i feel and i've been inching towards it you know for about 40 years (laughs) um, about feeling like my identity as a person finally feels like something i'm comfortable with you know Mm -hmm. which is like um which really just means I don't really care as much as I used to about how people will accept that particular identity. It's sort of like, this is who I am and this is how I'm comfortable. And this is, this is the way it is. Um, that took, it took way longer than I would have hoped or thought. Um, so for you in terms of your self identity as an artist, as a person, as a person in this world, like how your personality is, um, when did you start to feel comfortable with like, this is who I am. This is the way it is and I like it and I'm comfortable with it with myself and so the rest of the world's going to have to just adapt to to who I am um and I mean that artistically creatively personally I can it's inclusive of everything um I've been thinking about this so much lately and I'm and I'm I, it feels so good to finally feel like here's who I am right
1: mm-hmm.
0: um do you know it's a weird question but in terms of like being a creative identity, being somebody who is, I'm going to be, I'm not going to become a a CEO or (laughs) whatever it might be. Yeah. Uh, When did you feel comfortable and self-actualized with just who you are as a person?
2: Mm -hmm. Well, I guess it was probably a couple of years ago because when I had graduated high school, um, I graduated high school in 2012, but I had, I played my first show, um, in a bar when I was like 13 wow, Um, and started playing in cafes and stuff like that and playing all over the place and took myself very seriously. I was like, this is my career. I'm 13, but I know what I want to do with the rest of my life. And there's no other, like, there's no other way forward. Just going to keep doing it. So by the time that I graduated high school, I had been playing music live getting paid for it. Like that was like my, part-time job basically in high school is getting paid to play shows um but when I graduated high school I just felt all this pressure all of a sudden like my friends were going off to university Mm. um I just felt like is this actually something that I can do um is this lifestyle something that I'm going to be happy living I suppose um should I do something else and I felt that pressure for like a couple of years and sort of like stepped back from pursuing a music career and then I there was a you know what it was I listened to an artist Brandy Carlisle for the first time I must have been like 20 been working on my record for about a year with my producer, Jim Bryson, Mm -hmm. and I was kind of feeling at a standstill. I wasn't very artistically motivated at all, but I was also trying to um, come to terms with the fact that, you know, I'm queer and that that impacts the way that other people see me and see me as an artist. Um, And I was still coming to terms with that part of myself, I think, and it was seeing her, so she's um, out as gay, mm-hmm. and it was seeing her and listening to her for the first time um, and her record, By The Way, I Forgive You, that really energized me creatively, first of all. like It made me want to write songs. I don't know. I think for other musicians, they have those um, artists where they just feel so creatively energized by, and, and it makes them want to write music and That was sort of what she was for me at the time. And then, yeah, like, I just started to really settle into this idea that I am a musician and that this is exactly what I'm supposed to do with my life. I'm on the right track. I felt um, inspired to continue to write my record, inspired to finish my record. Um, Yeah, that was probably the turning point for me. But I mean, like, it's always a... I still feel like... I'm a work in progress in that way. Right. Like, I'm not like, I can't, I don't think I could ever say like, I'm fully there. Because it's so up and down. You know, some days I'm like, yeah, this is exactly who I am. And then a pandemic hits and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't tour. Who am I now?
0: Right. <laughs> who am I now that I can't tour?
2: Yeah, um, exactly.
0: I know. I think about sort of like like Broadway actors and it's like, who am I now that I can't act, right? It's sort of like I can't.
2: Exactly.
0: You know, my superpower is not something that I'm able to apply to everyday life. And, you know, it, I like what you were saying. I mean, in terms of like friends going to university and you kind of went, well, that's just not, I'm not headed that way. I'm headed this artistic path and how much counsel did you get from your sisters? I mean did you find that that was helpful to have them understand what it is that you are dealing with?
2: Yeah for sure. I mean they're very they're different to me in the sense that they are singer-songwriters but they don't. My one sister Sophie, she does do it um, somewhat professionally but it's not like a it's not a career for her in the same way Um, but they both have always supported um, my desire to want to have like a professional career in doing so. And yeah, they've honestly always been there for me and encouraging me to do it. And yeah, in those times when I was experiencing all that pressure to do other things, they definitely sort of guided me back to the path of like, no, here's where you're supposed to go. Like very like gentle guidance back, which is funny because our last name is gentle. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're awesome. I'm lucky.
0: Can you talk a little bit about your about your Scottish identity as well? Because there's an element, of, and I don't. I read a little bit about that, and not, and I wasn't. I wasn't sure. I knew you were going to head over to Scotland. I think even to tour a little bit. Um,
2: yeah, I was supposed to. Um, So I was born in Scotland on the Northeast coast in a small town called Peterhead. And I moved to um, Ontario with my family when I was, I think I was 10, 10 or 11 in between there. And I guess that how that impacts my music is like when I was growing up in Scotland, I listened to a lot of traditional Celtic folk music. Mm. It was part of my life. I love it. Um, It was probably, I don't know, maybe one of the first styles of music that really injected that like desire to make my own music probably or like you know that feeling you get when you like I don't know like when you listen to music and it just totally speaks to you in a in a way that lots of music doesn't I think listening to traditional Celtic folk music as a child really moved me Mm. um yeah but I've been living in Canada now for 14 years and I mean, I love it here, but I was supposed to go back to tour in the UK in July. And so that was definitely really sad to to be gearing up to share my music and reach audiences in Scotland um, that I can't reach in the same way now.
0: I know Morrissey has that Irish blood, English heart song. Do you feel Scottish blood, Canadian heart? Do, do you feel sort of like in two places in terms of uh, national identity?
2: I think so. I mean, politically, I really like the Scottish government right now. Yeah. Um, I think they're doing pretty well over there. But I definitely love living in Canada. I mean, I spent probably my most formative years here, like those teenage years. Um, I I think. When I have been back in Scotland, I'm like, oh, yeah, I feel more of like an ancestral connection to everything, you know, from the culture, the people, the way they talk, like the different dialects, the landscape. I feel like a a more deep ancestral connection to Scotland in that way, but I've definitely begun to put some very meaningful roots. Here in Canada as well.
0: Yeah, and what about any kind of Scottish bands, like pop bands? Were they were any of those sort of ringing your bell as a as a young kid, or was it mostly just the Celtic stuff?
2: Um, I'm trying to think. Actually, well, I I'm trying to think. My parents have always had like pretty wide um, range of music tastes, and when I was living in Scotland, I was like under the age of 10 yeah and I feel like at that point in my life my music taste was like definitely informed by my older sisters and them but my dad's a huge lover of um, Motown there's some northern soul in there as well Um, yeah and so we listened to a lot of like Marvin Gaye growing up and on that side of things but um, when I started to listen to music on my own and started developing my own music taste, I actually got really into country music mm. because, which is, was not a big thing in Scotland, but somebody had given my parents a Dixie Chicks record. They're now going by the Chicks, but um, for those listening who don't know that, the Dixie Chicks, and I just totally got obsessed with that band. I'm They're still my favorite band of all time, but that Dixie Chicks record that i started listening to really informed um what I started listening to which was then yeah a lot of country a lot of bluegrass um so I wouldn't say that I was necessarily like super influenced by any sort of UK pop bands at the time it was definitely more like Americana
0: Mm, interesting
2: yeah
0: I mean even Canadian bands like stars or, or broken social, you know, I
2: love those bands. Those were like my high school go-tos. Right. When I started getting into more like alternative indie music was definitely in high school. And in fact, that's when I started to get into, um, pop artists, but like, I used to love listening to early Madonna, Prince. Um, yeah, that kind of, those kind of like pop icons basically but yeah definitely love broken social scene feist yeah
0: it always feels for me i'm i'm just outside of berkeley here in california and it's always felt to me that in canada there's a much more of a tighter community Um, the artists seem like they really know each other they like each other they support each other and in in america things have changed where Music scenes don't quite exist the way they used to exist anymore. You used to have regional um, pockets of people that I think knew each other: Minneapolis, San Francisco, Austin, Boston, um, L.A., you know, New York. There were these kinds of scenes: Seattle, these scenes, and those because of what's happened in our in our country, those don't really exist anymore the way they used to, um, especially mm-hmm. here in San Francisco. Um, so, have you felt a kind of community amongst? Amongst Canadian artists, do you feel, or is that have I romanticized my, my brain? No,
2: it's it's very true. But I think that what contributes to that is that we have less like densely populated major cities here. Like you right. go to America and you drive like three hours from one major city and you're in another major city, whereas here, outside of Ontario, like if you're going to drive. To the west coast, you're driving for like eight hours through the prairies, and there's no major cities. But you, if you're on tour, you need to stop in some of those places, right? And there's small communities, right? And there's bands coming out of those small, small towns, um, and you meet people along the way. And I, yeah, I think it's just that there's less people here. Um, there's less major cities to play in, so. Yeah, I think I, from what I, from the sense that I get, um, it's it's very tight knit. I mean, I feel like I know a lot of people, uh, like almost all, probably not personally, but have heard of, you know, musicians across can- across Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that we really like to support each other. Um, especially in genres. I mean, I'm speaking to my knowledge of like the Americana, indie pop, indie rock alternative kind of scenes. I'm, I wouldn't know what it's like to be a metal musician or something in Canada right. and what that scene is like. But in popular Canadian music, I definitely can say that it's it's tight-knit and most people know each other. But also because there's so there's fewer music festivals. Right. Right. So right you are on a lineup with like, basically, you know, everyone that's on, on the lineup after a while, right? Cause there's right. only so many festivals to play, but, and you'd think that that would cause like a lot of competition, but I personally have not experienced that yet in my career. I'm not sure if I will, or if I won't, but I have not experienced that like intense, intense competitiveness yet in the Canadian music industry.
0: Even regionally, like uh, I've interviewed a lot of artists from Nova Scotia and sort of like the talk of how tight that community is. um, And I can't remember who was telling me this. It might've been Tim Baker um, from Hey Rosetta. I think he was telling me that it sort of comes from like, music is like the tradition um, in Nova Scotia of community. Community was tied to music. And so, you know, Nova Scotia has its own kind of, universe in terms of how they do things and how tight those artists are. Um, I listened a lot to the hidden cameras when I was in my thirties and my twenties. And I remember thinking like, where's Mississauga? Cause there's that song, Mississauga Goddamn. I'm like, where's that place? And, um, you know, you really, it, it, the whole idea of like the map becomes a, a much more different experience than say for an American where it's just so the population is so different, like what you're saying. Um, but it's fascinating to me how, canadians are because i found this that there really is that community and there's a there's a sort of um it's a very peaceable kingdom you know where everyone seems very supportive of everybody else and i i know i'm painting with a broad brush but it, it, it sure seems like that to me
2: yeah and i will definitely say that from experience i agree with you about nova scotia the whole eastern canada is just like it's the best um for touring. I toured out there in January, in the middle of winter, like drove through so many snowstorms, it takes forever to get out there. But each place that we played in, the shows are so intimate in a different way. It's not like going to Toronto and playing a show, playing a show in Toronto, say for 50 people, just as an example, like in a small cafe for 50 people in Toronto. I can tell you has not felt as intimate or as like, I don't know, good vibes as playing for like say 50 people In somewhere in Nova Scotia, mm-hmm. it's different. I, what Tim Baker said about it being part of the community is like, is so tr- and tradition is so true, but it's a slower pace out there in Nova Scotia I don't know. I love it out there. It's a great place to play music for sure. And also they have a lot of traditional Celtic music out there. They do. Oh, Which I love.
0: And everyone talks about, I swear, it's so funny. Everyone from that area always talks about Joel Plaskett as being like, he's like the guy who keeps, who keeps, he's like become the elder statesman. He's not old, but he's (laughs) the guy who like is so generous and keeps it all together. And he's sort of the keeper of this flame and, um, it just feeds into that romantic idea I have of, of Canadians taking care of each other in, you know, in terms of artistically, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, I, I, I like to have that. Um, I love your record, and I love what you're doing, and I and I just think that you, in terms of your outlook, it's so healthy and strong, because I know it's a very, very tricky time,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, but it's sort of like when you're an artist, you're an artist, and, you know, people have written Amazing works like *The Inferno* was written in exile, you know, and I think Shakespeare wrote during during a, a pandemic. And so, great art comes from great misfortune, um, global misfortune, or even personal misfortune. Right? We know that.
2: Absolutely. Um,
0: and so, your your outlook. This is the longest compliment ever, but but your outlook is so is so refreshing, and I feel that you have such poise as an artist. I'm so excited to see what, where your career is going to head.
2: Thank you so much for that. That means a lot, because it does it does take a lot um, of emotional labor, I guess, to to get to this sort of outlook, and it and it's, I don't know, it's an ongoing ongoing process, and. The conversations are ongoing with myself about how to stay grounded in all of this. But, yeah, so that means a lot to me. Thank you very much.
0: Well, there you go. You've been properly introduced to Evangeline Gentle. Go get that album. EvangelineGentleMusic.com is where you need to go. Uh, AlexGreenOnline.com is where you need to go if you want to find out what's happening with me. Or you can just listen to me on my podcast because I talk about myself incessantly. Well, where else am I going to do it? Someone else's podcast? Come on. Uh, Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe. Tell a friend, uh, maybe leave us a nice rating uh, and a comment. We read these things. We really do. And when I say we, I mean me, huddled together with my fragile little ego. You can find me on Twitter at Embers Editor. You can find me on Instagram at Embers Podcast. Go ahead and email me, editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Let's take a longer listen to Evangeline Gentle's Drop My Name. Enjoy it, and thank you as always for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast only right here on Bombshell Radio.
1: Do you want something from me? Do you want to take it, take it for free? Think you deserve it all so easily? As if you don't know what it's worth.